So we are going um, continuing our journey with the book of Acts, and uh, as you are able to, please rise and let's read um, the section together. We're going to read today from Acts chapter 5, um, verses, uh, it's just verses 40 to 42. Um, the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them followed. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer his grace in the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. <clears throat> the word of God. Please be seated. When I preached last Sunday, I used the text that went all the way to the end of chapter 5, uh, verse 42. Um, but I wasn't able to address these last three verses, and so that's why we are going to revisit these last three verses. Um, so this is good um, about prayer <clears throat> before we dive in. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that once again speaks to us, feeds us, is supposed to be that which sustains us in the truest sense for all eternity. And so, Lord, we pray that as, um, as we spend some time meditating on your word this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts will be accepted and pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. So, when I preached last Sunday, um, the text, um, as I said, um, was focused on Professor Gamaliel's thinking that helped navigate a very difficult situation um, in the Sanhedrin. Now the way he approached the situation is that he did not try to convince his colleagues of anything new, um, he, but he used the truth that he was, that he knew that they already had, that they knew about, they already believed, and he used those elements uh, of their existing worldview to come up with an action plan that did two things. It helped them avoid spiritual harm and put them on a path to keep them open to discovering the truth of who Jesus Christ might be. Right? And we also look at how this kind of thinking um, from uh, Professor Gamaliel not only saved the day in his time, but also his, how his reasoning could be applied to the issues that we are facing today. But there is something that we did not look at. In the last three verses of last Sunday's text, it deals with what happened to the apostles after their clash in the Sanhedrin. And so that is what I am going to focus on today. After Gamaliel spoke, the Sanhedrin, as you know, was in agreement, right, and decided to let the apostles go. But we know that that is not where the drama of the day ends. Because instead of letting the apostles go, as would be 
the case for somebody who was found innocent, they had the apostles sentenced to flogging before they let them go. Why? Because for them, flogging was a tool that they used to serve as a strict warning to the recipient to refrain from whatever they were doing. So let me just give you a context about what flogging looked like specifically. Well, flogging had a very specific technical definition in their day. It meant 39 lashes. It was also specifically called 40 lashes less one. And these lashes were performed with a special whip made of calf leather that had three strands, separate strands on it. Also, the person who was lashed had to be um, bare-chested, so they would remove their, their clothes and they would be put on a block and they would be lashed both on their chest and on their back. And the lashing was in, the, in a two-to-one proportion for every one lash on the chest, they would receive two on their back. Okay? So this is not just a, a simple, simple punishment. It was severe. 26 lashes on the back and 13 lashes on the chest. And this was severe and cruel enough that there were many people who died just from this. Although the lashings were not intended to kill the victim, but it was severe enough that many people died from it. So as you know, the apostles were lashed with a warning not to continue preaching in Jesus' name. But before I go on, I want to just step back and observe the dynamic taking place here. Um, when uh, the lashings were given and the apostles were released. You see, even though the Sanhedrin agreed to Gamaliel's reasoning and to let the apostles go, the lashing sentence shows us that they were not ready to be sincere seekers of the truth. And they were not ready to wait and see um, and make a serious attempt to discern if these apostles were really from God or not. Right? That's what it shows. On the other hand, Jesus Christ had warned these disciples, these apostles, first time, right in the very beginning when they called them, he said, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. End of quote. Now, if you are wondering what an individual's cross is supposed to be, um, in, in, the, in the song earlier, we saw how every, everyone's cross is unique. My personal definition um, for an individual's cross is that it is the very specific way that the world collides with a particular Christ follower as they stand up for Christ. The world is going to come at you in unique and different ways, each one of us. And that unique way is your cross. Now, this idea is so important to Jesus that he repeated it in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of Luke, 
and the Gospel of John. So I want you to pause for a minute and put these two ideas together. On the one hand, is the truth that in this world there will be many people who are not ready to discern the truth. And they will lash out against Christ's followers. On the other hand, Jesus being fully aware that this would be the situation in the days to come, had warned his disciples from the very beginning that if you are not willing to deal with the lashings that you are going to receive as you collide with the world, you are not worthy of being a Christ follower. Now, in our case, we are not likely to ever receive lashings for standing up for Christ. But we will also run into collisions with the world. And we should be aware of these things and, and stand on um, if we are going to be prepared. So let me recount three ways in which as a Christ follower, you too will collide with the world. The first way is when the world asks you to align your values with the world's values. If you don't go by the latest definition of marriage or gender identity, or if you don't go along with the gun lobby's agenda or any number of issues, then life may turn out to be difficult for you as you engage with the world. This is where a Christ follower will be misaligned with the world. And when you are not aligned, you feel like you don't belong. I would call this a belonging clash or an alignment clash. And when you experience a belonging clash or an alignment clash, you will feel the pain of being denied all kinds of things. Maybe it's a work opportunity or a career advancement. You may even be shunned by your social circles. The worst is when you are shunned sometimes by your own family. When you align the kingdom of God, when it comes to your values being misaligned, your, your values might be misaligned with almost every circle that makes up your life. Your values do not belong anywhere in this world. And there is definitely a pain associated with that. That is what I call the belonging clash. That would be the first way in which you will collide with the world. The second way the clash occurs is when you stand up and share the gospel and the world does not want to hear it. So when you're in the world, you can, you're free to use the word Jesus as a swear word. And it will be acceptable in every setting that you are in. That is for sure. But if you were to use Jesus Christ in the context of the gospel, which is the only appropriate context to use the word Jesus Christ, suddenly you will find that that usage is not acceptable in your work environment. It is not acceptable in any secular setting that you are in. And it is not acceptable in in groups with different religious backgrounds as well. You can call this clash the gospel resistance clash. 
You see, a Christ follower is given a job to do, right? Christ has given us the job to do, to go and share the gospel as the as a step to making disciples. But the world will make this job very difficult to do. And you will be left with two options. One is to share the gospel anyway and deal with the consequences. Option two is not to share the gospel and then wonder if God is pleased with you. There is no smooth road for someone who is a Christ follower. This is what the apostles were experiencing in the Sanhedrin. They were experiencing pure gospel resistance. And you and I will face this gospel resistance um, in the very secular and anti-Christian environments that we all live in. There's a third kind of clash that Christ follower will have to deal with. And this is the clash of our own flesh. This is not about the world, but this is about ourselves. So, for example, while the environment we live in may throw many temptations at us, the fact is that no amount of changing the environment can distance ourselves from our own flesh, right? We walk with our flesh, we live with our flesh. That is why you will recall when Jesus was tempted, he was not tempted with the temptations of a big city. Jesus went into the desert where there was almost nothing there to tempt him, right? Almost a blind environment. But Jesus was demonstrating that there will always be your own fleshly selves to remind you of your needs. Our stomach will always remind us of our physical hunger and our mind will always remind us of bigger things like emotional hungers, or self-protection, or power, or worldly recognition, all of these things. Now, well, there's a big difference, right, between how kingdom people approach these pools of the flesh and non-kingdom people approach the pools of the flesh. Because non-kingdom people live a life that is completely dictated by the power of their flesh, it is led by the flesh. Um, they will most of the time go along with what their flesh is dictating because all of life is, is designed to avoid pain and pursue pleasure, right? That's how the world is designed. Now, for non kingdom people um, who will not be Non-kingdom people, people will not be able to fully avoid pain. I mean, so it's not that all non-kingdom people are successful in their pursuit of avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure. They too will experience pain. But their life will be geared towards avoiding it at all costs. And kingdom people, on the other hand, will not be resistant to the pull of the flesh. We will be resistant to the pull of the flesh and we will, we will succumb to it every now and then. Even a Christ follower will act in the direction of their flesh quite a bit. But hopefully, when you become a Christ follower, there are some changes in the, in the proportion that we give into our flesh. So, for example, before you became a Christ follower, you were led 100% by the flesh. 
But when you became a Christ follower, suddenly you are led maybe only 90% by your flesh and 10% by a different force, the force of the Holy Spirit. But then, as you progress in your walk with Christ, you get sanctified, and that 1090 life would switch and eventually maybe become a 9010 life, where 90% of the time you are led by the Holy Spirit, and 10% of the time you still succumb to the force of your flesh. Now, the Methodists will argue that you can achieve uh, perfection in this world, that would be the 0 100 life. Um, and, uh, and some may argue that a 0 100 is not fully possible in this world. But whatever the actual numbers may be, <clears throat> the point is that when you are a Christ, Christ follower, <coughs> you will be living a life clashing with the force of your flesh at all times. And you will deal with this battle till the end of your life. But the fact is that Christ followers are called to deny our flesh. Now it may seem like a negative thing, you know, deny something, deny the force of your flesh. But when you understand it fully, it's actually not a negative thing, but a positive thing. Because it is a call to recognize the power that you and I have in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to overcome our flesh as a kingdom citizen. So, a kingdom person, nevertheless, faces this area of resistance, right? It is our own flesh. So, when you see the Sanhedrin, when you see, when Sanhedrin was done with the apostles, they gave each apostles 39 lashes. Now this would have functioned as a strong detriment to any regular person living under the power of their flesh, right? That's what it would have, would have normally happened. But what these guys did not know about the apostles is that they were not operating under the power of their flesh. They had a power over their flesh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is why even when they were whipped 39 times, instead of cursing and groaning, and then doing everything in their power to avoid ever being in that same situation again, they go out and they continue to preach the gospel and rejoice and say, hey, you know what? We have been given the honor and privilege of suffering the same way as Jesus Christ did for the sake of the gospel, right? I mean, they were rejoicing in that. People of this world will never be able to understand what is going on in the mind of the apostles when they react that way. But they were encouraged by what they went through because they considered an honor to preach and, they, and so they went on preaching the same message that got them in trouble in the first place. And we know that, that was not the last time they got in trouble, we know that all the apostles died um, untimely deaths, except for the apostle John, who died in exile on the island of Patmos, right? And so they paid a price for their stands, but nevertheless, they died rejoicing <coughs> in the privilege that they were given 
and no worldly person that is driven by their flesh would be able to understand that. Now, you may be thinking you know personally non human people who may be more diligent in denying their flesh and fasting and things like that than human people. Well, I know those kind of people as well. I know many of those kind of people, in fact. But the fact is that fasting like that amounts to the sacrifices that say a gold medalist uh, Olympic athlete has to make on a regular daily basis to train diligently so that they can win a gold medal at the Olympics. But what is going on is that they are making a small denial of the flesh in say one physical area of their life to serve a bigger fleshly need uh, like emotional recognition in another area of their life. But in the end, ultimately, they are being driven by the power of their flesh and that the power of their flesh is the operating force in their life. But it's not so with Christ followers. You see, a true Christ follower will deny their flesh for no fleshly return absolutely. They will deny their flesh only to faithfully obey what Christ is calling them to do and with the power of the Holy Spirit alone. That's what the apostles were doing when they were receiving the pain of being flogged with joy. We also know from history, as I pointed out, that every one of these apostles were killed in some way or the other because of the stance that they took. So how do we navigate these three clashes that we will experience in the world as we go about following Christ? The values clash, the gospel resistance, and the clash with our own flesh. With the values clash, I will say that we have to always be asking us the question, how comfortable are we in the world that we live in? James 4.4 puts it this way very bluntly. It says, unfaithful creatures, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Jesus in Matthew 6.24 puts it this way. He says, no one can serve two masters. He will love the one and hate the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. If this world and its corruption and injustice and deceptions and just plain hostility to Christ does not cause us to feel completely disconnected and misaligned with this world, then we are too comfortable here and not aligned sufficiently with the kingdom of God. In that case, we should seek some more misalignment in this world by immersing ourselves a little bit more in the world of scriptures and being in communion with God in prayer. I'm actually inviting us to some more misalignment with this world. And then when it comes to gospel resistance, a second clash, if we have not experienced people rejecting our offer of the gospel, then I would say we are not sharing it enough. It is as simple as that. 
people will reject way more than they accept. In fact, disciple-making movement leaders who I look up to and work with uh, on a regular basis remind me of the ratio of rejects, rejection to acceptance has easily been a 60 to 100 is to 1. That means that when you talk to 60 to 100 people, you may find one person who is interested. In other words, sharing the gospel is all about being willing to be resisted much more than the willingness to be accepted. When you talk to people, of course, you don't have to start by saying that, that you want to talk to them about Jesus. You can start just simply by offering prayers for their needs. If they are willing to receive your prayers, it's a tiny indication of a possible interest. But if they are not even open to receiving your prayers for their needs, it means that they are not open most of the time to God being the provider and addressing their needs. They think there are other sources, other ways to address their needs. And if you get that indication from them at that point, then you don't, then, then it is an indication to move on. That is a signal that this is yet another person who is resisting the gospel. But if they are open to having their needs met in prayer, then it gives you an opening to share with them about who the true provider is. But just by going out and having spiritual conversations with people and praying for them, you will experience this gospel resistance. And my message for you today is embrace it. Embrace the resistance. Thirdly, ask yourself if you have resisted your own flesh lately. You and I may never be whipped with our hands for sharing the gospel. But fasting is a great way to tell your own flesh, hey flesh, we don't have to give it to you every time you pull me in a particular direction. Of course, there are some temptations you have to right? I don't need to go into a list of all of them. But in some cases, like food, which we need on a regular basis, you have to resist just now and then to tell your body who's boss. Right? Uh, you have to let your body know that it's the Holy Spirit and not the human spirit that's in charge here. Every now and then. You can use the power of the Holy Spirit not just to resist say the hunger of food, but maybe it is some pain you're experiencing because of a medical situation. I know that every one of us here has experienced that. But the bottom line is, we do not let our flesh call the shots all the time. Just let your flesh know the Holy Spirit is possible. And when you do that, you experience this clash. But when you experience this clash, you know that you are aligned to the right kingdom. But not only that, when you experience this clash, and when you live a life in which you're not aligned with the 
fullness of your flesh, the world will be completely amazed and ask, what is wrong with that person? Why does this person act this way? And even that can just can lead to a gospel conversation, just like it did for the apostles. So remember, friends, as citizens of the kingdom of God, just like those amazing apostles, you too are in a collision force with the world. But in this case, our call is not to steer away from that collision course, but as your captain who has received orders from above, my uh, <clears throat> message to you is stay on that collision course with the world. If you feel misaligned with the world, you are doing well, my friends. If you feel that gospel resistance, you are obediently going out as sheep among wolves. If you feel the resistance of your own flesh, that means you are living in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the way to go, my friends. So just keep going. Keep on keeping on. Let's bow our heads and pray. My loving Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your power that supersedes all the powers of this world. You do not bow down to any power, any worldly authority, any force of temptation, or even the force of our own flesh. We do want to live the gospel in our own lives. We want to demonstrate what it is to be your follower, Lord. And as we live that life, we want these opportunities set up so that people can ask, why do we live the way we do? Why do we do the things that we do? What motivates us? What is our thing goal? What is the thing that drives us? What is the thing that gives us pleasure? What is the thing that causes us to wake up in the morning and say, this day is a day worth then we can give the answer. So help us, each one of us, Lord. Each one of us. We are all your followers. We want to be faithful to you. So help us to be faithful. Anoint each one of us with a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit so that we can feel the call that you have put on each one of our lives afresh. And be empowered to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.